Welcome to the Design the Future podcast, where we talk with women leading the way towards a better built world. Design the Future is hosted by me, Lindsay Baker, with Kira Gould. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Design the Future podcast. It's good to be with you again. This is Lindsay. And this is Kira. And yeah, another big week, another, I don't know, like I'm feeling a little bit like we're emerging. Um, it's maybe that it's the end of the summer and yeah. the summer is like this has been maybe just more than I've realized in the past few years. Like it's been so nice for everybody to actually go on vacation. And uh, and now we're like approaching the very end of that. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Get, yeah. Getting back to work time. I don't know. Seriously. That's, I feel yeah. that there's so much, I don't know, um, activity in the work world. <laughs> it feels like a little too much. I'm like, I don't know. Is this my comeuppance for having taken an actual vacation? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I guess I just let, you know, like, yeah, we need the vacations and then the things come back, you know, hopefully it doesn't feel like they piled up. I was trying to encourage everybody in my life to just take a vacation around the same time I was so that we would all not stress <laughs> each other out. That's, That's a great idea. That's a great idea. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. And now conference season, we're starting to plan for. And that feels, I feel pretty excited so far. Although I have to say, as our listeners know, I had COVID recently. So now I'm like, yeah, I got this. I'm ready for conference season. <laughs> <laughs> I feel my little window of invincibility. But it is actually kind of, um, I don't know. I guess I'm just feeling fortunate that so far, knock on wood, a lot of these events that we have not had in our lives seem to be available to us again. And we yep. can kind of find ways to gather and yeah, just the talking in person stuff um, <laughs> turns out to be a really helpful, uh, you know, thing to have in our professional lives sometimes. So absolutely. I was just uh, speaking to someone today about sort of restarting an in-person kind of peer group thing. And I'm so excited about it because it it feels like that's what's been missing. I mean, there've been a lot of things instead, you know, and a lot of stuff on Zoom and all, all good stuff, but it will be really nice to have some of that. Um, yeah. More of that, I guess, yeah. coming back. And who knows, maybe if we really have our act together, we'll find a way to do something in person as part of our podcast, because we've talked about it over uh, over the years, like to, you know, have a gathering or yep. maybe like a little thing that we record at the panel and, a, you know, so who, who knows, uh, the world is starting to give us those options. And that's also, right. that's right. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that, actually, Lindsay, because I've been sort of thinking about that more and more. And it's probably because conferences are kind of coming back. And I'm thinking about what would that look like? What would you know, what are the ways we could be inclusive, you know, geographically and all those things? Um, but yeah, because yeah, I think it could be really it could be really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you are a long time listener and you have thoughts about this, um, feel free to send us a note. We do have a little form on our website that you can fill out and uh, we'd love yep. to know what you think about that idea. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm going to be at Green Build. I assume that you will, Kira. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I will. Um, <laughs> at least that one we know we're already uh, there and probably can um, see many of you. So that's that right. That's right. Well, that's actually what's making me think of it. I'm in the middle right now, <laughs> literally today. I'm trying to, I'm helping to plan three different events that I'm trying to convince the people should be one. 
yeah. because there's so much overlap in the people. And I'm like, why do we have to have three separate things? Uh-huh. Um, anyway, it's kind of an interesting exercise in social engineering and not everybody appreciates my efforts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think, right? It's the blessing and the curse of being at an intersection of a lot of different um, organizations and efforts and things that people don't always appreciate are are like-minded. So um, thank you for for carrying (laughs) that torch. I think that's pretty important work. Yeah, it it is kind of funny though, because sometimes people are just like, yeah, no, we don't really want to to merge and be intersectional and do all that stuff. We just want to have our thing. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> it's all good. Well, I get it. So. We, uh, I, I wish you the best of luck. I know that that tension for sure. That yeah, is a real it's, thing. It's, these are good problems to have. <laughs> yes, yes, they are. Um, but yeah, actually, speaking of that, um, the sort of intersections and people coming together that I don't know that don't always know each other. I am particularly excited um, for our guest today. Um, so we have Bomi Jung joining us on the podcast. Welcome, Bomi. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I, um, I've been wanting to have Bomi on the podcast for a long time, um, in part because I just, I learned about her work more recently and um, realized like, wow, the, everything that she's doing has been so fundamentally aligned with the kinds of stuff that I think about that I was just embarrassed that I hadn't, hadn't uh, known about her before. But I think you'll all appreciate um, if you don't know her work, uh, just how incredibly connected this all is. Um, So for those of you that don't know Bomi, Bomi is a co-founder and co-CEO of Cadence 1.5 Inc., which is a public benefit corporation with a climate justice mission, developing market transforming software to enable city scale acceleration of existing building decarbonization. Bomi has contributed to New York City's climate leadership through policy and programmatic innovations since 2002 as the inaugural VP for Energy and Sustainability at the New York City Housing Authority, otherwise known as NYCHA, she developed public housing's most ambitious 10-year strategic sustainability plan. Prior to NYCHA, Bomi designed and led the climate mitigation and adaptation programs of the New York Office of Enterprise Community Partners. She also sits on the board of the Institute for Market Transformation and the Loan Committee for Capital for Change. Uh, So, it's just an incredible uh, set of experiences and expertise areas. We're so thankful that you're here, Bomi, and we're hoping that you might just start off by telling us a little bit about how and why you studied city planning and how you've become engaged with sustainable buildings and housing and climate justice, and just tell us about your path. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I, I came to city planning because back when I really wanted to uh, start a career in sustainability, there wasn't really a program that was, you know, nowadays you can go and get a master's degree in sustainability management. And, um, you know, those, those paths are more clear now, but back then it was sort of like, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to work on climate change and I knew that uh, cities have a disproportionate impact. And it seemed to me to make sense to go, you know, do a city planning degree. Cause that, that was the closest that, that I felt like I could get to it. And then I mean, I think that it's um, I've really benefited from having a planning education, uh, not so much because I'm a traditional planner. I'm definitely not a traditional physical planner, um, but because of the way that planning education uh, teaches you to think about um, public sector problems as really grounded in a dis- distributional 
impacts, right? Thinking about the just anticipating the distributional impact. And I I think that that's really, um, you know, that's sort of the, the, the distinguishing characteristic that I expect on, from, from folks who have a planning education background um, is, is not so much the, your ability to, you know, like calculate FARs or whatever. It's really more about like, I expect you to understand that public policy has distributional impacts. That's so interesting, Bomi. I, I love hearing that, especially about the city planning um, sort of education framework and, and the, the sort of positioning of your thinking about those issues. Um, I wondered if you could say a little bit about what you think people should know about um, if they're interested in working in like public agencies and public service in general, what should they be good at or interested in? Yeah, I mean, and, and coming out of city out of a city planning school, I mean, I you would you would think that what you would do is go into into public service right away, right? I mean, seems like that's where city planners are. <laughs> and, um, and and funnily enough, I that was not my expectation coming out of planning school. I um, I again, I, I went to planning school to to figure out how to do sustainable uh, buildings, really. And when I, you know, so when I ended up uh, going into uh, government service at the housing authority, um, I actually had some, you know, sort of stereotypes and, and uh, fears about what working in government might be like. And, and they really centered around this idea that, you know, it's a big bureaucracy, like it's got its own ways of making decisions. And, you know, I, I've always been a person who's, you know, been drawn to entrepreneurial things and wanting to get things done quickly and sort of, you know, hacking around problems and things like this. And I thought, well, I don't really know if this is going to be a good spot for me, because I'm not sure that I really understand what government bureaucracy is all about and how it moves. And what I sort of learned after being uh, part of NYCHA for six years is I really learned to, to actually really appreciate bureaucracy. And the metaphor, I, I guess I would point to is sort of like, you know, uh, public uh, or, or private companies um, and particularly small companies like startups, um, you're kind of expected to be like a speedboat, right? Like you're, you're really nimble and you zip around and you do things quickly. And the government bureaucracy is sort of like the ocean liner, right? And if you want to move a lot of people, you can move a lot more with an ocean liner than you can with a speedboat. And a stability that, you know, that's, you know, that's good for an ocean liner. Being able to hold a course for a long time is really good for an ocean liner. And I think, you know, the, the, the question is, you know, is the boat that we're all on pointed in the right direction? And that's not really all on, on us in terms of providing that governance feedback and making sure that we're really pointing in the right direction, but like having that continuity of the bureaucracy, like that is what the bureaucracy is there so that you're not changing directions every time there's a, a you know, every four years after an election and what have you. And I think that we've seen a lot of that um, just not only in local governments, but even in the way that uh, the federal government programs, you know, sort of, uh, you know, have transitioned over the last two administrations. Yeah, absolutely. I that's a fascinating perspective on bureaucracy, Bomi. I'm I'm so glad you shared that. Um, and that's helpful for me. I sometimes I think I'm one of those people who often sees bureaucracy in a negative way, the sort of more conventional view. But I I really appreciate the the sort of upsides that you are bringing to light there. Um, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about what you're up to now. You have created a company, and I thought you could maybe tell us a little bit about that idea, why you're doing software versus, say, consulting and things like that. 
Yeah, sure. So, you know, when I went to the housing authority, I went to the, the housing authority being super excited about being able to um, do things at a big scale, right? So housing authority is the largest apartment owner in the country, you know, 200 and at the time 60,000 apartments over 2,500 buildings, um, you know, 600,000 people who, who depend on that building stock. And so I was super excited to be working at this big scale and be able to have impact at a big scale. Coming out of that environment, um, I really wanted to continue to focus on making change at scale. And, um, and my co-founder, Mark Zuaga, who um, is formerly of C Winter Associates, a, um, a boutique energy consulting company, you know, we, that's really where we connected is just our, our mutual appreciation that we needed to move fast and we need to move at a scale that was sort of a market or a city at a time. And, and that really suggests that, you know, we, we need to move away from the sort of the story that we've been telling about energy efficiency and consulting. So, you know, in the past 20 years, basically the whole time that I've been in practice, um, you know, we've really been as an industry um, focused on, um, you know, getting folks who are already kind of the, the, the leading leaders in the field to try the next, uh, you know, next amazing thing, right? The next new technology, you know, going from, you know, energy star to, um, you know, to passive house, like, and, and all of that work is amazing and so necessary because the, the having those early movers is super important to getting folks to adopt new ways of doing things. But it's also sort of sent this message that these problems are all very bespoke problems and that they have to be solved sort of, you know, in this very, you know, one at a time kind of way. And I think that we're at a moment where, you know, we have to recognize like 90% of the buildings, uh, the existing buildings in particular, 90% of the buildings are, are fall into a very small number of typologies. And they, we don't need to have this kind of bespoke focus on every single thing when really what we need to do is to be achieving uh, aggregate impact at a scale. And so that's why we are focusing on a software approach, um, you know, what, uh, just so that we can do the things um, for basically everyone that, you know, otherwise would have been delivered, uh, you know, as a bespoke service only to the people who were really, really, you know, putting energy and time and resources into doing things a different way in a more, uh, you know, climate responsive way. So, you know, what we're doing is we deliver a way for owners to, to basically understand the options that they have for climate responsive construction very quickly. And we do that by um, using um, sort of building science backed standardization um, and, and then combined with public data to very quickly present options for climate responsive construction projects for those, you know, 90% of the buildings in the city that fall into the common typologies. And so if you are a if you really truly are a unicorn building, there's something super unique about you, you're really not like any other building, okay, then that's that's exactly where we should be applying, you know, the, the bespoke consulting services. But, you know, a lot of buildings really don't need uh, to think of themselves as unicorns, they can think of themselves as, you know, like, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a building that can fit into uh, a, a standard typology, and I can really pick from a menu of a known menu of existing technologies, right? So the takeaways there would be that, you know, number one, there are like lots of options for doing climate responsive construction today. It's not a matter of hitting on a single right solution. 
Um, and it's not a question for, of waiting for any you know, new blingy technology to come along. There's a lot that we can do with the technology that we already have at hand. And then the second thing I think um, in terms of takeaways would be that, you know, we need, a, we need ways to understand sort of the multiple impacts of construction, not only on greenhouse gases, um, but also on housing quality and impact on job market. And, and then, you know, any number of sort of owner specific considerations and owner specific constraints that, uh, that, that building owners and portfolio owners would have. And that's, that's how software can help. I love this. And I, I, in part, because I think it, um... I don't know, we've learned over the past 20 years that part of what has created the demand for like what we used to call green buildings was this sort of chicken and egg industry that came up of cons consultants who could help you do that. And I've struggled sometimes with the sort of the conflicting uh, goals that we have, you know, to have like lots of person hours devoted to this versus actually being able to get it to scale. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think this, it sounds like Sounds like a nice um, evolution in how we address the questions and probably was, you know, helpful for the first handful of years to like have that bespoke thing. But now we know, we know the kit of parts and we just need to get it out into the world. Um, I'm wondering for you, uh, because I've, I've gone through this transition once in my career, how is the software world feeling to you so far? It's a really different, you know, professional community and there's all these different things about raising capital like how how are you doing <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's fun it is definitely very different um it's uh my sort of second time around working on startups though because um before i went to planning school i was a software developer back in the dot com you know first wave dot com days um and it is very different now than than it was then in a lot of different ways but in i think for me it's been um, a little bit of a coming home to my home village in a sense, because of the, there are lots of things that I grew mm. up with sort of as a, um, in, during the formative you know, years that early on in my professional career as a programmer that I really appreciated. Mm. Um, and I'm rediscovering those things. Like, you know, there's a lot really active conversation in the tech sector about the future of work. And, you know, there were a lot of tech companies that were all remote before, you know, the pandemic hit. And so there's a lot of conversation about, you know, how do we stay connected? How do we stay motivated? You know, what does it mean to be, uh, uh, you know, a, a sort of having an ownership mentality and, you know, managing yourself in a context that's different from the traditional workplace. And all of those things are super exciting to me because I think that it, it helps you um, create a workplace where everybody can bring their whole selves. And that's ultimately, I think, you know, what I would like to see happening. Um, I mean, obviously in my own company, but across the board is that people are able to come to work as their whole self. Mm, yeah, I love that. And it also, yeah, it resonates with me that um, it's, it's really important when we're building software for buildings that we know both buildings and software. <laughs> the fact that you had that background of being, uh, uh, you know, like in the in the world and in the dot com boom, like knowing software as well as you do, gives me a lot of confidence, you know, that you kind of understand both businesses really well. And I, I've, I have been sad to see sometimes that companies try to get started at that intersection without having people who really know those two worlds really deeply. So it's, it's super exciting. Um, so tell us, like, you know, what what's happening now in the company? What is your what is your big challenge at this point in um, getting things going as an organization? Like, what are you what are you looking forward to? 
Yeah, I mean, we're um, we're actually getting ready to do our seed round, which has um, been a crash course in, uh, you know, in in how to uh, deal with the the, um, the the challenges of you know speaking with investors and you know how to message to them. That's very very different from what Mark and I are used to in terms of you know speaking to our peers. Um, you know, I found that. Um, explaining just sort of the process of how a construction project happens is it takes I, I didn't know this until we tried to do it but it takes us a really long time like between me and Mark we really like to just delve into the weeds and I think we we, we should, you know we would just happily lose everyone you know just talking <laughs> about all of the ways in which construction gets slowed down and all of the ways in which it could be sped up um, and so sort of being sort of tr translating to your point Kara just translating the the sort of building industry things that we know from you know having worked here for 20 years and translating that into into messaging that um, that makes sense and and resonates for folks who are who are who are not deeply rooted in um, in buildings is it's been actually like super challenging so you know we're we're, get, we're working on it we're getting better at it you know <laughs> yeah I know what you mean I remember many times sitting with venture capitalists, they would ask some very good question about like buildings and how they function. And I would spend a bunch of time answering it and then we would be out of time and we wouldn't really be able <laughs> to get to the point where we really got, and there was just like, there's an insatiable appetite of like really understanding the world in that community that I appreciate. They kind of need to know that to figure out how to invest in the right levers for change. But like, I was just like, I don't know how we're going to find the time, guys. This is a really complicated industry. You know? so, yeah. yeah, totally. I mean, the the other thing is that, like, I've been, um, you know, exposed to like a lot of media content now, like advising founders of how to go about doing this fundraising the first time, right? And what I one of the things that makes me chuckle a little bit is that just like I'm I'm telling folks, well, you know, chances are your building is not a unicorn. Um, you know, I, I, there are all these things that I'm going through as a, as a founder where I feel like, oh, you know, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can ask them to pay money for the software because we're just working on it. And, you know, maybe we should just have a bunch of free beta users. And, and it turns out that that's like a common, common thing that founders all think. And, you know, the, yeah. and it's amazing to me because it's a sort of like, everybody's basically the same. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Yeah, yeah, that is actually. But I, I, I found that actually really empowering. Um, we've had a few entrepreneurs on the show to sort of talk about that. But it's like, you know, um, starting a new thing, trying to figure out how to change a market or how to get a new idea out into the world. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's a pretty cool playbook uh, that you can use. That it's, you know, there are some tips in there. Not everything. Yeah. Uh, will fit but um yeah okay i'm i'm excited and, about that yeah and, and i and i've almost all for my pretty much my whole career have been on the on the um the client end of of pitches right and so i have i particularly have this feeling of like i just feel really shy about like asking for money yeah yeah <laughs> and apparently that also is like a founder thing oh my gosh it's such a so. founder thing oh yeah we could talk about that a whole bunch um yeah no it is i i um i i, I actually but it was liberating i will say compared to what i do now when i am trying to pitch people to support our organization but I've learned that um, like venture capitalists, at least they don't um, mask what it is that you are doing there. You know, like sometimes yeah. when you're asking someone for money, you're supposed to ask for advice instead. And then they eventually kind of work your way. Venture capitalists are like, all right, give me your pitch. Tell me your thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
actually kind of refreshing sometimes to know that like, yeah, that if you don't really directly ask them for money at the end, they're going to be like, nope, you didn't do it right. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, and I guess it's all sort of like learning the ropes, right? Because I mean, I certainly had no problem, uh, you know, writing grants, right? Yeah. When that was part of right. my, my responsibility. So yeah, you know, new, new things become old things. <laughs> So. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'm going to ask you a question that you probably get from investors now, just to transition. Um, it's it's actually, but but I think this is a broader question than an, than an investor would ask. It's about where you fit into the larger ecosystem of people trying to transform the way that we build and manage buildings. So you can answer this if you want to it, in a more narrow way of like, okay, when, when a venture capitalist asks that, they want to know about software. But um, more broadly, for those of us that are really just trying to transform how we build, um, you know, wh where do you fit in that larger, in that larger sort of uh, hopefully somewhat coordinated uh, scheme that we all are collectively working on? Yeah, I mean, we definitely, Mark and I talked a lot about sort of our approach as a company, and we definitely subscribe to this idea that we are part of an ecosystem, right? Um, and, and we're coming from this industry. I mean, we've both grown up essentially in this industry over the past 20 years. And so really, it's important for us to support the industry in ways that you know, we feel like we want, we would have liked to have been supported if we had had the tools, um, you know, in, in our own practices. And so, you know, from a from from uh, a sort of a philosophical standpoint, I think that what we would like to do is uh, we want to be part of delivering essentially transparency into this market where you know we focus on multifamily construction and it is a very fragmented uh, marketplace. Um, it's really hard to get information about you know who's doing what and how much things cost and you know and 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 there's there's so much. Um, uh, I think uh, risk that's created simply from not having, not sharing information that would benefit everyone. So it's kind of going back to sort of the planning school, um, you know, uh, you know, things you learn in planning school. It's kind of like a classic uh, tragedy of the commons problem. Like think about um, construction pricing, for example, right? So if you're doing a construction project and you've just gotten your, you know, four or five bids you now have fresh information where if you were to be able to share that somehow there are other people who are planning their projects who all of a sudden you're reducing their project risk and they're able to make decisions faster um, and and we could all sort of collectively move at a much faster pace but there's no upside for you as an individual and there's no real place for you to even share that information right and so that's sort of the the you know sort of a, a macro scale the problems that we want to engage with are these kinds of you know um support the whole industry support the whole ecosystem type of problems where you know software can uniquely step in and solve that kind of a problem where you you there's really no other way of doing it right you, you're not going to go and um you know have a i don't know how you're not going to put your construction processing on post-its and stick it on a bulletin board right you really need a, a software solution to be able to uh, to provide that kind of market transparency. And it's not just on pricing, it's even on things like, you know, um, how do you as a contractor, uh, you know, advertise your specific availability, right? So like if you're a lot of the, um, uh, the challenge in procuring construction work is that you have to find contractors who are available right at the time when you actually need them, right? 
Um, so there's all these like, you know, and, and I know that these are known problems that, you know, companies have tried to apply technologies to before. So we're, we're not, you know, we're not imagining that we're the first people to think of these things. It's just that from a, from a very high, um, high level, that's the kind of problem solving that we want to be doing. And then on a specific basis, um, you know, what we are doing is uh, very um, con deliver construction delivery method sort of neutral. So um, we really applaud the folks who are out there uh, doing turnkey, delivering uh, turnkey services to multifamily buildings, um, you know, like Block Power, you know, uh, you know there are a lot of examples um, of companies that are doing that. Um, and, and I think that that's really long overdue. It's, it's something that's been available to um, institutional clients and public housing and, and other governmental you know, owners like that for a long time. And, and I've certainly made you know, extensive use of energy performance contracting at, at, at the housing authority. And so it's a really great model. It's something that really has been um, brewing for a, a good 10, 15 years to come to multifamily. And I think that it's, we really want everybody who's in that space to succeed because it is um, a, a very effective way of solving a lot of the implementation problems that multifamily buildings have in particular. Um, what we want to be doing, though, is supporting the folks who are doing project delivery in an integrated fashion like that, as well as uh, the more traditional method of you know, folks who have in-house construction management, maybe, and they have their stable of contractors that they work with. We want to support those projects, too. There is so much here, Bomi, that I want to comment on. I can, I don't, I'm not sure where to start, but I, well, one thing I wanted to say is I just think the idea of sort of collective intelligence and transparency as, as two of the key ways to get us to speed and scale, it's just so appealing. And I feel like so many people that have been a part of this movement for a long time can really identify with that as like big drivers. And um, it's really especially interesting to understand how you're operating in that space in this thoughtful way that is considering sort of quality and community as it relates to you know housing multifamily housing specifically um i just so i'm wondering if you could tell us like what in your work life generally you're sort of most proud of the question we like to ask our guests yeah i think that um i would have had a very different answer for this like you know when i was younger but um uh, I, I, because I'm a very like task oriented person, I like to like check things off my list of to do's right. Um, and so, um, but now that I've sort of um, mellowed out <laughs> a little bit in my middle age, what I'm constantly surprised by is um, the degree to which like things that I didn't think were um, Th things that were sort of in my mind ancillary to whatever I happened to be working on at the time seem to have really long tail impacts. And I think it's um, to do with things like, you know, starting Green Home NYC 20 some odd years ago. Um, actually, I guess it's almost, I guess it's exactly 20 years ago. Um, I, at the time that we started that project, you know, we didn't know how many hundreds of people were going to come through Green Home NYC and be able to find entree into this industry. Um, and I'm just I'm, I'm amazed by how that idea of a volunteer run, uh, you know, green building organization and advocacy organization in New York has continued to draw new volunteers and, and continues to, to fulfill this mission of bridging professional knowledge around green buildings. And, um, you know, just basically people who are interested in learning more about what to do about it, right, which really should be everyone. 
So there's that kind of thing. And then um, also I um, really feel like I have benefited, um, you know, so tremendously from people who have been open with their time. And so some people are folks who, you know, are, have been long-term mentors to me. Um, and, 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 and then there are people who are just available at the right time to answer, you know, a few right questions for me. And that's really made a big change. And so, you know, I've made a commitment to try and do that, um, to carve out a portion of my day to provide informationals. And I don't really have any, they're not always folks that I follow up with afterward. And I don't necessarily have like deep mentoring relationships with, um, with most of them. Um, but I, I do sort of feel like, you know, you can be, uh, you know, so helpful to somebody without realizing that you're in fact, in fact, like delivering like, like the right message that they needed to hear to help them move on and to the next step in their, their career. So I really try to, to do that mindfully. That is awesome. And it's, I think it's really, well, that's a perfect segue to my next question, because that's such a, I think that is such a, um, it's something that's really a part of the green building movement um if you see it as a movement and that so my question really to you is that this this the green building industry is often thought of as a movement and i'm wondering how you feel about that do you feel like you're part of an industry or a movement or or some version of of both how do you think about that for yourself yeah you know i do think of myself as being part of an industry i guess because you know we have conferences and we have associations and that makes us an industry right <laughs> um and then i i'm not and then as far as what constitutes a movement like i'm not exactly sure um you know at what point do you actually need to sort of give up the idea of being a movement because at the end of the day you want to be mainstream and so if you want everybody to do it like is that at some point you're not, you're not a movement, you've just become like the new, the, the new normal, right? And that's what we're all aiming for is to be the new normal. And I think that, I feel like over the last couple of years, I, it, I felt like we're kind of on the cusp of making that transition where um, you know, you've got so many more people talking about uh, climate responsive construction and just climate change generally. And um, I think that if, if part of the, um, the sort of, uh, privilege of being, I guess, a sort of an, um, a, a veteran of the movement would be um, being able to enjoy this. You've finally gotten to the point where you've really gone, you've taken these ideas mainstream. Yeah, totally. No, I, I, I love that. Um, okay. So um, I guess speaking of this and this and like how this works as a movement, I, I want to, we want to ask you to reflect a little bit on how you think it's going um, more broadly. Like what, where did you think, I like to ask the question, did you have a vision about the year 2020 and how, um, how well have, has the world manifested that vision? Um, but you know, in whatever way you can say, like how, how does it feel to you these days, um, our, our progress collectively? I really feel like a dam has broken. Mm -hmm. I really do. And um, it's taken a lot longer in some ways than certainly I think you know we have hoped um, it would take to sort of turn um, the the sort of um, the, the 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 general dialogue in society towards you know accepting this idea that we all really need to be doing something about climate right um, but I think that we have crossed the threshold finally 
And I do think that it's a good thing that, you know, every job should have an aspect of dealing with uh, climate issues. And, you know, if you can do it proactively, that's wonderful because then you're anticipating a risk and you're managing things um, in advance. And but if you don't, then ultimately what's going to end up happening is that it's going to creep into your job in the way in, in the form of now you have to do something as a as a result, right? as a result of mitigating the impacts and, and, and adapting to the impacts as opposed to trying to ameliorate what those impacts would be you know, from the front end of things. And so on the one hand, I'm super excited that we're all sort of on the on on the same boat now, I feel like. Um, on the other hand, I, I do sort of feel like this anxiety of like, oh my gosh, we have to do so much in the next decade. You know, we really all need to sort of do as much as we can as quickly as we can. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I love that. And I love the metaphor of the dam breaking. And it does, yeah, it does kind of, it is starting to feel like that for me. I guess it's like, you know, I don't want to say it too much in case it's, um, I, yeah, in case it, it somehow changes the impact, but yeah, it's, it does feel like that. Um, okay. So then specifically maybe a bit, um, on the nerdier side of this, where do you think, um, as it relates to, I love this term you use climate responsive. So like climate responsive buildings, um, where have we done really well, where we made a lot of progress and where do you think we haven't made enough progress and, you know, we need to focus more effort. Yeah, I think that um, we have done really well in uh, bringing building science to bear on uh, construction practice sort of at the, at the, the, the leading edge, right? So, um, you know, the fact that so many uh, designers and engineers and, and developers are working on new construction passive house buildings, for example, I think is a tremendous thing. Um, and, 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 and there's uh, such a tremendous community of folks who are trying to disseminate the knowledge around um, passive house building um, into places that, you know, are less resourced and, and sort of harder to address through, um, you know, folks, developments that basically, you know, are more um, sort of uh, developer driven and, and perhaps have less access to or it's less part of their day to day business to bring in architects, for example, right so like multifamily rehabs, for example, often don't um, uh, involve architects in a lot of lot of places in the US and um, and build so so changing building practice and sort of making headway. Um, in changing building practice is really important I think we've done a really great job of starting that that um, that movement I where I worry a little bit is um, you know as we've sort of mainstreamed. Uh, terms like electrification and decarbonization. Um, I feel like from a from a housing perspective and um, as from a perspective of a houser, um, it's become a little bit distanced from uh, some of the core functions of housing, right? So if you think about it as decarbonization and electrification, do you lose track of the fact that, you know, the, the core function of housing is to deliver housing quality, right? The core function of housing is to be protective. You know, we make buildings so that you know we can create an inside that is a different uh, from the outside environment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, that th that's my worry um, as we sort of mainstream these ideas is that we don't lose track of um, you know issues like housing burden and housing quality and these other things that I think that that I sort of 
um, wrap up in this idea of climate justice. Um, uh, again, just back to the whole distributional impacts, right? Because you know the 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 where we have faults in housing quality, those are not you know th these are not randomly distributed events, right? We've through public policy created uh, inequities that are systemic that we also need to be working on um, reversing as we do this work in climate. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we, it, it's it's you know one of these issues that has or one of these problems that has a lot of different facets, and we need to to solve it all. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Oh my gosh, I love that. I, I was at an event last week that reminded me that something that I think might resonate with you, which is that it, it really irks me when people refer to sort of the realm of buildings and climate as like demand side solutions. It's it, and I, I just don't always want to, you know, or like demand side policy. And I just want to say, like, can we call it like shelter policy, maybe, you know, <laughs> or something <laughs> like kind of gets to the real value that we provide for society here and not the idea that buildings were created as a consumer of a thing called energy right <laughs> like we're right. more than that thank you very much um and that's actually this reason I mean I you know climate responsive as a term it just really resonated I wrote down on a sticky note because it's not like I haven't heard that term in general before but I think we really I'm I'm I struggle sometimes to come up with the right words to talk about the goals that we collectively have for uh, for buildings um, in, in in my organization anyway. And because it's about health, it's about equity and it's about sort of carbon slash environmental impact. Um, but, uh, you know, that it, ca it captures it more to say, like, it's because we're being responsive to this thing. Um, and buildings have a lot of responsibility in that. So yeah, I totally appreciate that um, that that caution. Um, thank you for it. Uh, okay, we are almost out of time. We have one last question that we like to ask our guests, and I'm very excited to hear your answer to this one. So, um, Bomi, tell us who you are most inspired by these days in terms of leaders of any kind. Yeah, I thought really long and hard about this one, actually, because I just sort of feel like it's like, which superhero? Um, I think it's it's funny because, you know, because I think the, the two people that I really feel like um, really I need to lift up in this moment are um, Rory Christian, who's the chair chairperson of the New York um, uh, Public Service Commission. And Tamara Jones, who's the co-executive director of Clean Energy Works, and they—it's funny uh, because you know they're part of the community that kind of is bridging the discussion about like you know this demand side solutions, right? Because they're both working to uh, on utility policies, but you know they they, they both come from a, a, a housing um, background, and so I think that's part of the reason why. Um, I feel like their their roles are so important is because we need more people to bridge both sides of this equation. And I, I do believe that um, the arguments that the utilities or the more utility focused folks make about um, the way that buildings need to be users of energy differently. Um, I think those are all really important uh, things that we need to consider um, as we rehab buildings and build buildings. Um, but the flip side also, you know, is just that, like, you know, they have to be homes first, they have to be schools first, they have to be hospitals first, right? And so mm -hmm. I think that um, the it's it's so important for, I think, the housing community in particular um, to um, 
have a better understanding of how the utility sector works. Um, and I, I really think that the, that Rory and, and Tamara are um, right up there in helping us figure out um, sort of as a community of practice, how to bridge these two, two um, areas that are really very different, that we use different terminology for everything. You know, there's so much that, um, that uh, you know, it separates us in terms of us as professional people. Um, and then, you know, they're just two excellent human beings, so. <laughs> yeah, oh man, I love that. Those are both great um, bridge builders and people that um, I am super impressed by as well. So I, I love that, That's, those are great ones. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you so much for being on the show. It's been such a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Ah, what a week. This is great. Um, I, yeah, I appreciate it. And I appreciate being here with you all. Um, that is it for us this week on the Design the Future podcast. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I hope you all are doing well and enjoying the last days of your summer. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Please leave us a review on Apple. It really matters. It helps people find us. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.